The Athletic. Welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Coming up, the lights were stuck on red for Arsenal and United. Deadline day drama and been there, done that, couldn't buy the t-shirt. Hi, it's Lindsay Hooper here. With me today, it's former Arsenal and England player Rachel Yankee. Hello, Yanks. Hi, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm good. I hear it's busy in your household this morning. (laughs) Like every day. (laughs) Every morning with two children. Uh, the Athletic Charlotte Harper is also joining us now from Wembley today. Charlotte, what are you doing at Wembley? Hello, Lindsay. Yes, uh, there was a media briefing on uh, the women's football talent pathway, uh, creating more choices and options and improving the diversity of the women's game. So it was really interesting to talk to the FA Women's Technical Director, Kay Cossington. What was your big takeaway from that? Big takeaway is mainly the avenues that they're trying to improve. So we know that centre of excellences have been replaced by emerging talent centres. There was a piece that I wrote uh, for The Athletic in the summer talking about how difficult it was to get to these leafy green suburbs in Chelsea's academy like Cobham or Arsenal's Boreham Wood. And we don't actually need to replicate the men's pathway and how uh, England women are doing it differently. And managing to get more players through city centres, which Rachel is where you came from, wasn't it? Uh, Yeah, definitely. Yeah, in a city London. And um, that's something that I've also been working on and the project that I'm doing and and plan to to obviously do more football in that area because I think it's definitely lacking the opportunities for, um, for inner city, inner city girls. Well, hopefully strides back in the right direction there. Um, Speaking of activations as well, it was Green Football Weekend. The Sky Sports team, pundits included, I'm sure, Rachel, you were roped in for this too, uh, played the Green Football Cup. You scored three goals for some eco-friendly actions. In fact, the higher up you got, the more points you could score for different things. As I was on the road this weekend a lot, I needed to offset some of my carbon emissions. So I was very active on here. At one point, I was leading the WSL table only for Rachel Corsi to absolutely wallop me on the final day. I think she came out on top overall. But there's loads of acts that people can do. So the main message was using football as the vehicle to be able to try and get some sustainability and change to our habits, because I think that's the thing that we can do. So reusable bottles, that was something that I was doing. I, I filled my tires up with air, which makes them more economical as well as good for the environment. That's a good one if you're having to drive to games like I did with the the train strikes this weekend. But using tap water instead of just buying bottled water, obviously less plastic, things like that. Are are you both good at this sort of thing anyway, Rachel? Um, Yeah, I'd say, well, I do need to fill the tyres up probably. But um, (laughs) yeah, I'd say uh, drinking tap water, not not that keen on on using bottled water anyway. It's just um, reusable water bottles. Um, we've got an electric car, so that's always that's always mm. good. And uh, did a lot of walking, t- t- taking the uh, taking my mum's dog out for a walk. So uh, yeah, getting out there and walking the dog. I couldn't believe how many footballers now as well are vegan. So we had Jen Beatty do a piece about being vegan, and then I was speaking to, to Karen Carney, Laura Bassett. They they both follow more stringent diets than I do. Anyway, I tried to cut out meat this weekend. I will say though, Charlotte. Well done, Linz. I'm proud of you for that. Yeah, I'd say I cycle a lot, so I suppose uh, that's environmentally friendly. And I learned that the biggest contributor for your energy bills is uh, hot showers. So I did go through a stage of cold showers, but that was a bit tricky when the cold snap. But yeah, I'd say plant-based diets as well. We know that that is environmentally friendly, but it's just good to raise the awareness and keep the conversation on people's minds. 
Exactly. That's very Wim Hof of you, wasn't it, to have the cold showers? <laughs> um, if you got involved in Green Football Weekend, do let us know how you got on with your goal setting. Um, use the hashtag AthleticWFP. It is important to spread that word and to make sure that we all do our bit. Um, Sam Mewis actually wrote a piece for The Athletic recently about how the climate emergency is affecting players on the pitch during games. Now, we had these frozen pitches over here in England recently as well. So make sure you check out that article. But now back to the WSL, because it was a big weekend for Chelsea. They went two points clear at the top of the table because both Arsenal and Manchester United drew their games. We start with Arsenal. That's a brilliant run. She pulled it back. And over the bar from Blackstenius. What a chance. It's a big chance. West Ham picked up their first WSL point against Arsenal ever as it ended nil-nil. That's the first time in 12 months that Arsenal haven't scored in WSL. And it all came off the back as well, Charlotte, which was probably bad timing, was the transfer deadline day drama that unfolded where Jonas Eideval was trying to bring in Alessia Russo from Manchester United. That deal didn't go over the line. Manchester United holding on to her. There were rumours about Brune as well from Leon maybe being a target, but he didn't get that extra forward. No Miedemar, no Mead, because they're both out with ACL injuries until the end of the season, it looks like. So does this further cement the, the fact that they need extra reinforcements in that area? I think Jonas Edeval has been very transparent. He wanted a striker this window. He said they were one player short in the summer, and so their recruitment strategy has not worked as efficiently as he'd like it. And Arsenal failed to score despite having 21 shots, uh, nine on target. And you, c- I know there is a tendency to go with a narrative, but it was really clear as day. I want a striker. I didn't get a striker. Arsenal didn't score. Yeah, it felt like this game, actually, Rachel, just solidified everything he'd been talking about. But he also went on record to say, you're not going to have me standing here saying we've got a problem scoring when we scored 22 goals in the last five matches. What did you take away? Did you think this was more about the resilience and the the fact that West Ham was so organised and were able to put that low block and many behind the ball and it could have just happened to anybody? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in any... In any time that you uh, you play a team like West Ham, who this season have been, you know, have been really good, and they're changing their um, the way that they play, and you know they've obviously they're working from defence, working upwards. They they were resilient. They they are hard to beat. They are you know well organised, and um, I think any team that comes up against them is going to be a tough game. I think that Arsenal, without players like Mead and 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 Miedemar and and without that kind of just the fluidity, it seems like they lacked a little bit of dynamic movement, that little bit of um, creativity and that composure to break the team down. This is a bit of a, a tough moment because you've got, you know, the players coming in or the players starting. You need to really build their confidence and they need to put the ball in the back of the net, but they can definitely do it. I, I don't think it's a major worry. I just think that, you have to give credit to West Ham. You know, they're a good team. They're a different team than we've seen in previous years. And Arsenal possibly didn't have just that final that final little bit of genius in the final third that they, they normally have. But, you know, you get these games and I think you have to, you know, you know put it to bed and go again next week. We should point out that goalkeeper Mackenzie Arnold for West Ham was voted player of the match. That tells its own story as well. Mm -hmm. I had a quick interview with her and a chat afterwards. Uh, She was revealing that they've had a new goalkeeper coach at West Ham that's worked on their mentality as a group of goalkeepers, managing to stay concentrated for the entire 90 minutes. And it was really on show. That's five clean sheets in the last seven now, Charlotte, for, for Arnold. And she really is. It's another tale of this weekend of great goalkeeping. I think uh, when West Ham played Arsenal in the reverse fixture, Mackenzie Arnold was injured. She was out with a a calf injury and they had the youngster 19-year-old Sophie Hilliard in goal. And it really showed that how West Ham missed Arnold. But all credit to her, she pulled off some fantastic saves and, and kept West Ham in the game. Having said that, 
Arsenal didn't really make her stretch. You never thought, oh, you know, that was an unbelievable save. It was all within Arnold's kind of target area. So I think, you know, Arsenal definitely read their chances, but you can't take that away from Arnold. There was even a penalty shout for West Ham. There was this challenge from Raffaele on um, on Brignard's de Tia. And when you saw it in, in, in real time, it didn't look like there was much in it. But when you see and have the benefit of the replay, and I'm sure you'll have seen this as well, Rachel, that back foot was caught by Raffaele. What did you think? Was it a penalty? Uh, can you take your your Arsenal specs off just for a moment? <laughs> yeah, I can take them off. Um, yeah, to be honest, watching it, I thought it was a penalty. Um, I thought she was she was lucky. I probably maybe what what makes it uh, or doesn't make up the, the referee's mind is that the players going away from away from goal. But yeah, for me, I, I thought it was a pen. I also thought Arsenal should have had a pen. So. Maybe that equals it up. Mm, And we will continue to talk about this um, with the next few games as well, because it all has a direct impact at the top of the table. I did think it was interesting, though, that Emma Hayes, who will come on to Chelsea's performance, she mentioned herself the competitiveness now in this league and how teams will take more points off each other. She doesn't think it's going to be straightforward between now and the end of the season, that there will be several changes at the top. Is that how you're thinking, Youngs? Yeah, I think there'll there'll be changes. There there'll be ups and downs. Um, I think it's about trying to make sure that your your squad is a settled squad, a happy squad. I don't have any inside information, although I used to play for Arsenal, so I'm not. It's just from me looking from the outside. You know, when you lose players like Jordan Nobbs, the characters that you know mm-hmm. are not now in your dressing room Jordan Nobbs obviously uh, Leanne Hall the the assistant manager go in and they all go in halfway through the season you know I'm 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 wondering you know and and obviously these players you've got injured players out for a long time with ACLs what's the mood like in the camp is everything you know are, are people battling in the same way or you know, are there sort of questions or is there sadness there? And those sort of things for me is like Arsenal need to be really strong because you look at, at the Chelsea squad that, you know, haven't really made many changes. Those things, Arsenal need to make sure that they're in camp, they're, they're really strong. Well, it wasn't just the Gunners that dropped points. Manchester United also struggled to come up with the goods. Press the ball through. Here's Galton. Brosnan backtracking. Galton cuts inside. Is Ella Toon off the upright? Ella Toon hit the post. Katie Zellum was denied by Courtney Brosnan. United just couldn't put that ball away and the game ended nil-nil against Everton. I cannot remember, Charlotte, the last time we opened this show with two nil-nil scorelines, but it's how we're rolling today. Importantly, it's because of drop points again. And you look at Manchester United here, it was similar to Arsenal's performance against West Ham, 25 shots compared to Everton's five. What did you think of United in this one? And I, I suppose quite a few eyes will have been on Russo as well to see whether she was affected by all the, the drama of deadline day. You can have that kind of all the rumours swirling. Uh, I think Alessia Russo would be professional enough to to go on the pitch and, and put a performance in. I don't know whether she was affected or not. I suppose it's a huge compliment from Arsenal to come in and with that bid. And a huge to- compliment from United to keep her when she'd be free in the summer. I think you have to look at it both ways, don't you? That's your team really backing you. Yeah, backing you and, and knowing how much you are pivotal. Uh, Alessia Russo and Manchester United still haven't agreed fresh terms. She's still not signed a contract with United. So there must be some kind of friction there for her contractor. You know, she's five months away from being a free agent. And, and United obviously know and value securing that Champions League spot over a uh, world record kind of transfer fee. Rach, Everton last time, they beat West Ham 3-0, a side that we've just been talking about, who we've said how much they've improved, how resilient they are, but Everton took them apart. So to draw with Manchester United might be more reflective of how Everton are playing right now. Yeah, definitely. I'd agree with you. I think Everton have really... 
um, started to improve. I suppose it takes time when you've, you, you know, a new manager comes in and they need to understand what the manager wants. And uh, I think that, you know, in, in previous games that I've seen, they've looked like a, a really good side and they've looked exciting to watch. So, um, so yeah, I think that although Manchester United had probably more of the possession, more of the chances, I still think Everton are, Everton are pretty good. I said two nil-nils. We're actually going to open the show with three. We like to dip into the championship and it's worth reminding you what happened this weekend. At second place, Bristol City, they dropped points with a nil-nil draw to Blackburn Rovers. Championship leaders, London City, got the win they needed. A goal for Lily Ag on her 50th appearance. And make sure as well, you check out Charlotte's interview with her in the Journey to the Cup series, which we mentioned on last week's show. Light London City, WSL leaders, Chelsea also came away with the three points they wanted. Now James, brilliant footwork from Lauren James. When she gets going, she's a joy to watch and she's still going, James. And that is an absolutely outstanding goal. Chelsea pulled the game back for a 3-2 victory and it featured a spectacular finish from Lauren James, a lovely solo goal. And I'm going to bring you straight in on that one, Yanks, because I've, I've got flashbacks to the way that you used to cut inside and have great feet. You must have loved watching that one. <laughs> yeah, I taught her everything she knows. <laughs> I'm only joking. Um, yeah, no, I, I think she's a fantastic player. I absolutely love just watching players that can do something that your you know your average player can't do. See, you jest, Rachel, but you actually will have had a an overlap with with Lauren when she was at Arsenal Academy, wouldn't you? Yeah, Lauren Lauren trained with the first team. I mean, I think she was about fourteen. She came into our training. I remember because uh, Kirsty Peelin, who, who used to play right back for Arsenal and works for Camden coaching lots and lots of girls in Camden and, and always trying to, to help them and give them opportunities to, to progress in their career. She always used to ask me, you know, what's the youth like? What's the talent coming through? And I'd speak about players like Chloe Kelly, who was obviously at Arsenal and say, you know, fantastic footballer, still needs to probably learn the game a little bit more at that time. But like Lauren James, I, I remember telling her, I said, this kid come into our training session and she's the best kid I've ever seen. I was like, she was just amazing in the in terms of her 14. I think she was 14. She's like her power, her strength. Like you, you had first team players that were just bouncing off of her and you just couldn't get the ball and the confidence that she had. But yet if, um, you know, you, you spoke to her or, or her as a person, it doesn't come across the way that she is on the pitch with the ball. She looks so confident, so loud, so, you know, so fierce. But when you speak to her off the pitch, she's quite timid. So, yeah, I mean, her, her footwork, her balance was just unbelievable. And I remember uh, I actually spoke to Kirsty a few weeks ago. That's why I remember the story, because she was just like, oh, I remember you raving about Lauren James. You weren't <laughs> wrong. She was just outstanding. And, um, you know, I'm... I think the only worry for me when, when I saw Lauren coming through was she needs to make sure that she plays for a manager that really gets her because I think off the pitch, she's, like I said before, she's quite, she's quite shy, she's quite timid. Some people may, may look at her and think that maybe it's arrogance where, you know, the persona that she sort of gives off. I, I just think that, you know, she really have to understand and get her and, this is what, for me, the way I like to see football being played, these are the players that we need to put on the pitch and, and fans need to come and watch because that, that's the sort of change in, in women's football that, you know, they can do something different. They can, they can get you off your seat and cheering. So, you know, I'm really pleased to see, you know, how her career has progressed and, and how well she's doing. But no, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure you inspired her. There'd be no question about that. But I wonder what you made as well of the, the comments from Emma Hayes afterwards, because clearly she appreciated that goal. It was a wonderful individual effort. But she was very quick to point out that there were elements of the game that Lauren still needs to work on. And you get the sense that that's to do with tracking back. Will, will Lauren respond well to that? Is that the way to be with her? You talk about how to manage her? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, I mean, obviously I on a personal level, I think, you know, Emma Hayes would speak to her on a personal level and, and, and get the best out of her. And 
she is so talented on the ball, but she's she's still young. She has so much of the game to learn. So, you know, sometimes we, we, we hang our players out to dry. So I'm glad that Emma, in a way, sounds like she's trying to protect her in, mm. in terms of like saying that she, you know, she has a lot to learn of the game. And and I don't I don't think Lauren would disagree with that. And I think that she is a player that that wants to that wants to learn, wants to become better. I think for me, like she has fantastic balance, um, skill, unbelievable control. I suppose the one thing when she trained with us as a young kid, you question was her physical fitness. And I, I did. I don't really recall her being that quick, but now I, I look at her now. Her fitness has come on leaps and bounds, you know, and her speed is is unbelievable. So, yeah, I think you know she's 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 a fantastic player, but she still needs to to learn the game. And, and Emma's Emma's a great coach, and, and will teach her that side of it. Charlotte, a word on Spurs. I mean, it had to happen, didn't it, in this game? Spurs going up against Chelsea after that that move in January for Beth England. Of course she went and scored. Did you think this was the most dangerous they've looked against Chelsea? Spurs have had a poor season and I think a disappointing campaign compared to last year. I mean, the scoreline definitely indicated a step going forward. I think they've really missed Rhea Percival and Kit Graham but I don't think Chelsea are quite firing on all four cylinders it'll be really interesting to see how they get on with their Champions League campaign I don't think they are as performing as Emma Hayes would like so a step in the right direction for Spurs In the other games of the weekend then, Aston Villa will have been disappointed as they dropped points to Brighton. That was a one-all draw. It was the first WSL goal of the season for Chloe Kelly as Man City beat Leicester City 2-0 at the King Power Stadium. Kelly driving into space and that's number two. What a fabulous goal by Chloe Kelly. Manchester City are now level on points with Arsenal who have a game in hand and Liverpool secured a 2-0 win over Reading that could be key when it comes to the relegation battle. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast with Lindsay Hooper. Transfer deadline day provided drama. We've touched on some of that already and the effect it could have had with Russo, for instance. But we're here for more than just that Russo deal that didn't happen. And we've got a question from a listener, Adam, who says, does the recent transfer window showcase the change in the media coverage that we've seen in women's football? I'm sure when there are rumoured world record fees, of course that gets a bit more generation when it comes to column inches and media. But Charlotte, I'll start with you as the journalist. I don't think we've seen anything like that before, but we've only just started to get the the real juicy details, haven't we, of the deals? Exactly. And I think the fact that The Athletic's David Ornstein broke the news as well will have really got eyeballs on that. You know, he is the master of, of transfers in the men's game. And so the, the Russo deal was then picked up by all sorts of outlets, given David's reputation in the men's game. You want that interest, don't you? I mean, my friends who watched the Euros this summer were texting me going, this Russo deal, this is unbelievable. And there's men and women, boys and girls. So, you know, People love the transfers because it's exciting. And yeah, I'm all here for it for the women's game. Rachel, your thoughts, please, on the loan signings that now have fees associated with them. We saw one go through in this window. Jade Moore moved to Reading on loan and it was at a cost. And it's the first time we've seen that start to happen in the women's game. What do you think about it? Yeah, I think, you know, this is this is all good and positive for the women's game is that you know, we need to be looking at it as a business. And, you know, it's it's Man United's player. If Redden won it, they've, they've got a player cost. You know, too many seasons have gone past where, you know, the the club that owns the player is, is sort of, you know, still still paying the wages and what have you, or they weren't a lot. But, you know, we, if we want the game to move on, if we want it to be a business, these things need to start happening in my eyes. And I think it's um, it's only a positive, really. Charlotte's got another piece that you can check out on The Athletic, all to do with Diallo, who was that player from PSG charged with assault. Has She's been signed by Levante. So this was the most shocking transfer for me. 
Kira Hamari, PSG player, was beaten with an iron bar in November 2021. Aminata Diallo, her teammate, was driving at the time that the car was intercepted and attacked. Aminata Diallo has denied all wrongdoing in September. She, her PSG contract uh, had expired over the summer. In September, she was arrested, spent five days in uh, the Parisian women's prison and charged with aggravated assault and criminal conspiracy. Decided to take a break from football to prove her innocence. And then along January the 2nd, and she signed for Levante. And I'm thinking, what, how, when, why? So, yeah, a six-month deal with Levante. Uh, The judge who is in charge of the criminal case has relaxed her bail conditions. Uh, So she is able to travel to Spain in order to work. And she is basically living a normal life in Spain, traveling with the team. It's just written in her contract that she can't play uh, against Kira Hamraoui in any match. So I don't know if next year uh, Levante were to play against PSG in the Champions League, uh, for example. But if uh, she were to be called back for a trial this year, then Levante would let her go. So a lot of different uh, complications. If you want the full piece, go and read it on The Athletic. But Diallo wanted to play her football, which she's entitled to do, uh, innocent until proven guilty. Her lawyers say that the case should be finalised by 2024. But this investigation is, is still ongoing. The more that this story goes on, Charlotte, the more that I think it will end up on the silver screen one day. It is just truly fascinating what's happened there. That does wrap up the transfer window chat for us this week. When your favourite player moves club, what is the one thing that you'd love to do straight away when you see that happen? Get one of the shirts, right? With the name on the back. We all want to do that. Uh, Merchandise is a huge growth area in women's football. Earlier on, I caught up with Helen Hardy, who's founder of women's football store Foudis and Arsenal women correspondent for Ars Blog. Tim Stillman joined us as well. Helen, Tim, thank you both for joining me. Now, Helen, founder of Foudis, I'm going to start with you on this one because I I think any great business idea comes because you see a gap in the market. I've got a vision of Dragon's Den and you're walking in the room. And what are you pitching at the beginning when this business sets up? When I first launched the business, I was in the stands at the 2019 Women's World Cup, looking around at people who travelled across the world but were wearing David Beckham shirts. And I remember thinking, this is so obscure. These are these are fans that absolutely love the women's game. We've just had our own kits made for us by the major brands. Why on earth are people wearing men's football shirts or shirt USA shirts without the stars above the crest? It made no sense to me. And so talking to fans, it was an accessibility issue. Essentially, if I was walking to the room with with the dragons, the dragons den, I don't think I'd ever be able to do that. But <laughs> if I was ever going to do that, I think it would just be about noticing the sheer scale of the women's game, even back in 2019, versus the accessibility that that we had to those products. And it was it was a huge issue back then. And I, and I like to think that Foudis has really like plugged that gap and and created a space and also created a tension around around the brand that's forced clubs and other brands to start offering a women's offering, which is what we wanted. It was to shake things up a little bit. And I definitely think we've done that. And I wanted to point out as well, Helen, I've known you for some time. You were interested, involved in women's football for a long time before this. It will look to the outside world when you're talking about 2019 that you were like, wow, something's going to happen here. I'm jumping on. But that actually isn't the case. You know, this would have been a huge gamble for you. It was just intrinsically you knew the sport really well, but you could never have anticipated the growth, which in turn has helped your business no end, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. I was over in 2017 in the Netherlands for the Euros. And I think back then it was just so so far-fetched to think we would have our own kits. It was far-fetched to think that the Women's Super League would have letters and numbers that were bespoke and dedicated to the league that gave that product a unique differentiator between the Premier League and the Women's Super League. So I think it just felt so far away back then that um, it was never something that I ever envisaged would be possible. 
Tim, we've spoken about this and the commercial potential as well on previous episodes. It is mm. those images, isn't it, Tim? You know, when we've seen Williamson on the back of shirts for young little boys, young little girls walking up Wembley Way for the FA Cup final. We've we've started to see those images now. But it is about the potential. And I wonder what more you would like to see, having spoken to, I'm sure on occasion, many Arsenal fans about this. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think there's a few things. I think, first of all, you're really right to point out, and, and Helen said there, you know, I was in the crowd at the World Cup, at the Euros in 2017. I think what Helen and Faldis have done is basically shamed a lot of the clubs. And a lot of the clubs are looking at this and going, ah, why is this company taking money that should be coming to us? Because we're not providing this. And, you know, that that looks bad on a lot of brands and a lot of clubs. and And that's... I guess my frustration is that someone who was in the stands had to effectively say, I'm fed up with not seeing this, so I'm going to go and do it, you mm-hmm. know? And 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 I think, like, we should point out as well some of the nuances around this. One of the reasons we're seeing, like, little boys and little girls of Williamson on the back of their show is because you can get them now. You couldn't get them a few years ago. And, and another one of the kind of distinctions, I mean, for a football club – Almost all football clubs, the women's side will be the commercially fastest growing element of their operation. There is a lot of space in there. No one should pretend that it's going to make anyone like a billionaire anytime soon. Sorry, Helen. Um, (laughs) It it might do one day, but it's like it's a growth area. But also I speak to Arsenal women fans who don't support the men's team at all. I was speaking to someone at the game yesterday. She supports Derby County men, but Arsenal women. So she says, when I buy an Arsenal shirt, I want the WSL patch on it because I want it known that I support Arsenal women because I don't support the men's team. And I want Leo Volti on the back of it. And there's a lot of that out there. And I just don't think anyone kind of maybe on the club side, maybe on the brand side, have taken enough time to explore this area. And sorry, just to cap this rant off, I tried very, very hard to buy that orange Lionesses shirt over the summer. And I didn't just try to buy it after the final. I tried to buy it around about the time of the first game. And it was sold out in men's sizes. It sold out before the Euros started. I'm sorry, Nike enormously underestimated the demand for that shirt. And what I found was in kids' sizes and women's sizes, you could still get it. But they didn't think that like... Uh, sorry, like XL men like me would want to buy it. And that's really, really frustrating. And it's surprising because they're leaving money on the table. We had this actually in our household as well, the training top, Helen, which was also delicious. I mean, anyone who saw that top, it started to go viral. And that was that was just the training top. We had to ship it from somewhere because I think it took about six weeks to get here. And then everybody that we had in a group that went to the the Euro final managed to have a a copy of the top. But, you know, it was difficult. It wasn't an easy process. And let's face it, if you want your favourite men's top, you can get it within a click and a heartbeat, can't you? So that must be some of the frustrations that you hear. Talk to us, though, Helen, about the actual nuances. Why is this not so easy? just generally across the board. If I was to walk into a sports shop, a famous one, maybe owned by Mike Ashley, and look for a top, they aren't in there. You know I'm a Geordie, Lindsay. Why are you taking Mike (laughs) Ashley into this? Um, Yeah, the the data points are so interesting. I was at uh, the number one sports brand uh, head office at at the weekend. Um, I'm not going to name, but the most famous brand in, in sports. And we were talking about data. And they said something that's really interesting is if somebody goes onto our website and buys a Chelsea shirt, we don't know who they're buying it to support. Because if they're buying a men's fit Chelsea shirt, they could be going to Stamford Bridge or they could be going to King's Meadow. And we'll never know. But if you go to Foudies.com, every single one of our customers since the beginning of the website being launched has never bought a shirt without personalization of some description on it. So we've never sold a shirt on our website that's just a blank Chelsea shirt. We've always sold it with either the WSL patch on it, the Champions League patches for the women's game specifically, or with a name on the back. So our data is like fascinating to this sports brand because they will never know, you know, who's buying the shirts from us. And what's really interesting about Tim's point is actually 58% of people that come onto our website are men. So there's this big common misconception about the fans that are stood in the stadiums supporting the women's game. 
the people that go to watch it, I hear people all the time talking about, you know, it's families, it's kids. That's not what the data is telling us. And then the other really interesting facet is around 78% of the shirts sold on our website are men's fit. But actually, the predominant amount of shirts on our website are women's fit shirts because we cannot access men's fit shirts. And I hate the, the phrasing of it, men's fit and women's fit. It's a straight fit or it's a curved fit, an hourglass fit. And I wear men's fit shirts. So there's a lot of misconceptions around the fandom of the women's game, the merchandise surrounding the women's game, and who is supporting the women's game. And you talked a little bit about the nuances and the issues that people face. I think the biggest issue that people face is, you can call it accessibility, but I think it's actually visibility. So if you're going on to, we'll talk about Mike Ashley again, Sports Direct website. You brought him up this time. (laughs) (laughs) If you go into the Sports Direct website at key calendar moments of the women's year, so the start of the WSL season, the, the homepage will be Mo Salah. I, it's undoubtable the homepage will be, you know, Haaland. It will be men's footballers. And I get it. I get it. It's a billion pound industry, but you will never see women's football spotlighted in those key calendar moments of the year. So like we will never know really the power of women's football marketing or how far we can take the women's game when the platforms themselves will always highlight men in those key calendar moments of the year. And that goes for the club websites too. You'll never go on to the Manchester United website. And I think it's a perfect example, actually. When, you know, Kristen Press first signed for Manchester United, it was the most sold football shirt at Manchester United um, that season above Bruno Fernandes. So we're talking about Kristen Press signing for Manchester United. When you go onto their homepage, what would you expect to see? You know, <laughs> considering it's the most sold shirt on their website, you'll see Bruno Fernandes. You will every single time. And, and that's, and that's always going to be the case. So. I think that that's the nuances that we won't ever see shift and change, even as we see the growth of the women's game. The other nuance as well, I think you bring out there, Helen, is that personalization of shirts. I think that's a bigger thing proportionally in the women's game than it is in the men's game, because you see a lot of people who are attracted to players even more than you see in the men's game. And you talked about Kristen Press there. I know the same thing happened when Tobin Heath came to Arsenal. The Alex 77, Morgan at Spurs. Alex yeah. Morgan at Spurs. Absolutely. And so, and not all of the people who bought a Heath or a Press shirt support Arsenal or Manchester United. There'll be USWNT fans who like really like, you know, uh, repping or standing. I believe the kids who are much younger than me say particular players. So personalization, I think, has even more commercial potential for women's football fans. But on the other thing that we see a lot of, which um, my investors couldn't quite fathom because they're men's football fans, is people will buy a Manchester United shirt and an Arsenal shirt and a Spurs shirt in one go because they support the Netherlands players that play for that team. It's almost as if the tribalism is towards the nation before the club. And like the analogy I always give is I wouldn't be welcome back in my house if I was wearing a Sunderland shirt. My dad would kick me out, (laughs) never to be seen again. But in the women's world, it's like now I feel like even more so as I'm more enveloped in this world and I absolutely love it. I would wear a Manchester United shirt with with a name on the back, I would I would support because I support Ella Toon because I support Alessia Russo. I wouldn't fathom doing that uh, five six years ago because of the connotation towards the men's game. But now I feel like we're owning that jersey mm. as women's Super League, and the patches, the sleeve patch, and the name on the back is what makes it a women's jersey in the correct font. So I, I completely agree with you, Tim. And we're starting to see that in the data as well. We're starting to see that crossover of people buying of multi purchases across the WSL with maybe an add-on of an international jersey. Yeah, it's, it's super fascinating. That is so true because when you analyse the fan base, I mean, I, I, I've been watching women's football for some time and and I know it's not the same for me as the way that I watch men's. And as a journalist, I've been involved in both games for over a decade and I don't feel the same tribalism. It's so true. You know, I, I've never revealed my women's team but it's not necessarily the same as my men's team because I didn't get to see Wolves women I did I just didn't get to watch them anywhere I knew about them and I'd like them to do well but from watching the women's game I've watched other teams a lot more is there any request from a fan when it comes to shirts Helen that you can't deliver on is is there anything that's a stumbling block that you think oh I wish I could do that as well yeah, I think the most unique aspect is when the team isn't a big men's team. I say big, that's really unfair. But when it's not the, a giant, a Barcelona, we, we struggle with accessibility. So the prime example would be Wolfsburg. 
In fact, a different department of Nike produced the Wolfsburg shirts. So when I'm talking to this department about accessing Wolfsburg as a prime example, I'm saying they, it comes with a star to represent their successes in German football. And um, it comes with a little golden star on it. And when I'm talking to them, they keep on circling back to, so you want women's fit shirts? I'm not, I want the women's shirts. I want Alex Pop shirts. I want, I want to represent Oberdorf. Oberdorf is the second most searched term on our website, just anecdotally. So this is just the sort of stuff that is more difficult to access because it all comes back to this root of if it's big in men's football, we'll usually be able to access it more easily. Um, another really interesting one was before uh, Barcelona were sponsored on both their men's team and women's team by Spotify, they were sponsored by Stanley, which was, I think it's a um, hardware company. And so the women were sponsored by Stanley and the men were sponsored by Rakuten. And um, actually, I was really struggling to access Stanley shirts. And then one of the other major sports providers in the run-up to the Champions League final contacted me. was like, we can't shift these shirts. Do you want them like for a discount price? And I was like, yeah, I'll take them all. Before they'd even arrived with us at Foudy's, we'd sold out prior to the Champions League final. Pure, like showing the, both the value of women's football and also showing that when you spotlight women's football, the fans are there to take the product. They just don't know it exists on other platforms. So a platform that is the, one of the biggest, if not the biggest in the UK, couldn't shift a women's football product because it was hidden away behind loads of men's products. You have to be really specific in your search of that product. So yeah, our areas of struggle or areas that we really find difficult are when it's less associated with the, the men's team, but an area we really want to lean into. So the NWSL is huge for us. Trying to crack the NWSL and support that European distribution is massive. Similarly with the Australian W League, and then also with those European clubs that are maybe aren't massive in the men's world, and um, trying to crack those and, and make them realise that there is value in, in producing the women's goods as well. I'm going to save you some market research time as well for expansion of your business. Whilst we have the mega brain that is Tim Stillman here right in front of you. <laughs> is there any other merchandise? We've talked a lot about shirts, Tim, but mm. you you know better than anyone from all of the fans that you, that you interact with what they want. Are there other things that they're wanting to buy that they can't? Yeah, I, this is really, really interesting, actually, because, yeah, because look, look, everyone jokes about how much training kit <laughs> Arsenal release. And actually, Arsenal and Adidas did something a little bit interesting last season where they released some training kit that was kind of just for the women's team or they released some like unisex stuff, but only the women's team wore it. And I, I actually wonder, this is something I've been wondering over the last few months, because now we see separate kits for the England team, for the Lionesses, like... You know, if Adidas, who release about 15 training kits a year for Arsenal, like, are we going to come to a point where maybe they start to think, well, actually, maybe there's some commercial value in having different kits for our women's team, making them distinct from the men's team? And I know that's that's a blurry line because, you know, you want to promote the one club ethos and everything. But do we think we'll get to a stage where Adidas say, actually, we have a slightly different home shirt for the Arsenal women's team and and, you know, perhaps that's just another little branch that we can sell to. I, I don't know what the demand for that is like, but absolutely like personalizing training stuff, for example. And look, sizing is I, I still think that's the biggest thing that so many don't get right, just in terms of having the sorts of sizes that female fans want and need. And like Helen says, like, like look, I'm no expert on this, but you know, some people don't wear women's fit. Some people wear like young men's fit and just even the biggest brands just don't seem to be able to meet the demand, which strikes me as crazy. And can I chip in as well and say about boots? I, I've already overheard, you know, I want a, I want a pair of Alessi Russo's boots, but I wouldn't even know where to point someone in that direction. Could you expand in that way? Yeah, well, this has all come with our sort of wholesaler agreements that we've uh, we just finally cracked the three majors. So Puma, Adidas and Nike are now official partners of Faudis, which has been years in, in the making, to be honest, and not and not easy to do. To get a partnership with Nike, just to put it in perspective, they have 24 partnerships in the whole of Europe. And you probably could name all 23 other brands. And then now we are the 24th partner wow, of Nike. Well done. So, it's been um it's been a mission to get here, but that's the big next big step is. We started with the replica shirts 
I'm really keen to move into literature and I've been talking to people like Susie Rack and various others who've written amazing pieces because I see it as like basket purchases when people are going to the checkout. I'd love for them to go, do you know what? I think I'm going to get that book with my Arsenal shirt. How epic would that be to see people kind of expanding their knowledge of knowledge of the women's game or getting Beckmead's autobiography or whatever it is. I think that that sort of stuff's really special, but for sure leaning into training gear. And I agree with you, Tim. My only concern would be around adding on specific women's gear that's slightly unique or differentiated is what we've been saying this entire conversation, underestimating the value of the women's game. You talk about the Lionesses shirt. I know Nike won't make that mistake again because they've promised me they won't, but they ran out within a week of the tournament starting. I mean, for us, it was a killer because we'd prepared so much for the tournament and we couldn't access product. It was not to do with sales. We just couldn't access the Lionesses product. And even to this day, you know, every day we get emails being like, can I get a Lionesses shirt? Talked about the beautiful training gear, like Lindsay, the beautiful training top, the home shirt and the away shirt in equal measure was was popular. And so, yeah, for sure, in terms of moving forwards, my biggest concern would be these brands recognizing the power of the women's game, the popularity of these products, and would they produce enough that we could actually really, you know, make our mark and create brand awareness. That would be my biggest concern as it stands, maybe in five years' time. <laughs> and are people still able to get Euro shirts? No, they've stopped production. Mm. They won't be reproducing. There's so many interesting anecdotal things that I've just been, I've got this old phrase that my granddad used to say, shy bends get now, which means shy children get nothing. So I'll always ask the question. <laughs> I said, look, Nike, can you reproduce the 99er shirt for us, the USA 99er shirt? They're like, no, that was literally 20 years ago. We will not reproduce that for you. So it's it's a no, unfortunately. They produce what they produce and it's on a two-year cycle. So I've already seen the World Cup kits and the rhetoric around the World Cup kits. It's going to be incredible. Um, they're really pushing the boat out in terms of the offering and it's not just shirts. I'm super excited for them to to drop the World Cup you know, merchandise and everything that's going to surround that. And it's going to be super special. I just hope they produce enough and I hope we can get enough stock to, um, to appease the fans. Helen, unfortunately, we are running out of time. I know that aside from this, you're very passionate as well about the other work that you're doing. You founded the Alternative Football League in Manchester, Manchester Laces. I know we've had a a chat about that before. So I would point people in the direction of just looking those up and looking at at the work that you've been doing. Maybe we can get you back on to talk about those as well at some point. Oh, thanks, Lindsay. I'd, I'd love that. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been brilliant. Tim, thank you very much for your time as well. Uh, We'll leave the last word to you, Helen. Just spell out the website, make sure everyone knows how to go there and how to order. Named after our wonderful shareholder, Julie Foudy. We are Foudy's, F-O-U-D-Y-S dot com. Come check us out. (laughs) There you go. Brilliant stuff. Thank you very much. That was me speaking to Foudy's founder, Helen Hardy, and Arsenal women correspondent for Ars blog, Tim Stillman. If you do have any more thoughts or complaints on that merchandise front, there are things that you want to get off your chest or things that you'd love to be able to buy, do get in touch using the hashtag AthleticWFP. We will make sure we forward those on and we will keep banging the drum on future episodes as well. Coming up this week, it's the draw for the Champions League quarter and semi-finals on Friday. How did we get there so soon? The group winners will be drawn against the group runners-up. The winners were Chelsea, Wolfsburg, Arsenal and Barcelona. And the other side of the draw, the runners-up, include PSG, Roma, Lyon and Bayern Munich. Rachel, who are you hoping that Arsenal draw? (laughs) To be honest, they're all so difficult. When you when you go out there, you've got to beat the best, and sometimes um, it's it's better to play against someone you know possibly not in the final. Um, you might catch mm. them on an off day, so maybe maybe you want a a Leon or a Bayern Munich, or, you know, to take them on earlier. I'd love to see the Lucy Bronze Derby between Barcelona and Leon. I think that could be quite good. <laughs> Charlotte, any matchups that you'd like to see? Well, it's hard because, you know, a Barcelona-Leon would be a repeat of the last year's Champions League final. So I, I kind of w- don't want it quite now. I'd love to see Chelsea take on Leon. I think that would be quite spicy considering Kadisha Buchanan moved from Leon uh, mm. to Chelsea. Chelsea wanted uh, Wendy Renard a couple of years ago. 
There's rumours of uh, Magdalena Eriksson and Penilla Harder's uh, futures. Uh, so that could be a fun one. But like Yanks, like looking at all of those, they're, it's a really, really tough draw. And, yeah, you know, Wolfsburg, Bayern Munich, that could be a really tasty domestic tie. PSG, I still think, are lacking a, an out-and-out striker. Uh, I know they recruited in the window. But I'm excited for Friday's draw. Kira Walsh scored her first Barcelona goal this weekend, so we should update people with that news. Um, Caroline Weir scored a hat-trick for Real Madrid. Life in Spain for Caroline is going brilliantly. Do you know who else loves a hat-trick? Azizat Oshawala. Um, and she scored three hat-tricks in her past four games for Barcelona, fast becoming the Erling Haaland of Barcelona and La Liga football. In domestic action, it's the Conti Cup semi-finals midweek as Arsenal hosts Man City and Chelsea travel to West Ham. Then at the weekend, Arsenal and Man City face off again in the rearranged WSL matches. We've also got a repeat of this weekend's game as Brighton host Aston Villa, plus Liverpool play Leicester and Spurs host Man United. Man City have got some real attacking threats. We've seen that. And Arsenal, because they could be lacking a little bit in that area do we think that that could be the difference here Rachel I don't know I just think it's always tough you know when you play play a team back to back I think that's always mentally that's quite tough um so kind of that first game you really want to get on on the front foot and take the game to them so I think I think it would be a really interesting game I think Man City have kind of been up and down this season people have wrote them off and they 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 always sort of fight them back I still think they're a hard team to play against. So, um, yeah, I don't know. There's not much between those two teams, to be honest. And after watching Arsenal at West Ham and the way that they played, I mean, it will have taken it out of Paul Koncheski's side, but they have got some reinforcements available as well. Charlotte, the fact that Chelsea are away for this one, it does make this tastier, doesn't it? I think if it was at King's Meadow, we might feel differently, but West Ham are in with a shot. They are. I think fatigue will uh, play a part in that. I spoke to Hawa Sissoka yesterday and her legs are, are sore. She did put but in a real shift. She really did. But, you know, West Ham will be really boosted uh, by that draw against Arsenal. It's just whether they can maintain that uh, work rate, concentration. A word on Man City, like it could be the difference, you know, Khadija Shaw, known as Bunny, she's leading the golden boot race with 10 goals and can't stop scoring, whereas Arsenal are really struggling for goals. On the flip side, I do think Arsenal look more composed as a unit, whereas Man City, there's a lot of change uh, in their structure. So, yeah, two tasty ties can't wait for them well that is all we have time for on this week's athletic women's football podcast thank you very much rachel and charlotte enjoy the rest of your days (laughs) thank you and thanks as well to producer sophie and to you for listening as always Uh, please keep in touch on socials using the hashtag athletic wfp you can also tag us in at the athletic fc and at offside rule pod we will see you next time The Athletic.